Good morning, and if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians, and we're going to read from Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered for so much for so for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law, or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith you might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that was being duly established, so it is in, the case, in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. 
so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was just in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, God, well, I just bless you that reading of his word. Let's just pray before we look at it together. Our Father, we thank you that we can look at these things and we can go back and see the promise that you gave to Abraham. We can see the fulfillment of it, the fulfillment that is in Christ. And our Father, we pray that you will just lead us in this direction, that we might know this to be true, that we might put our trust and faith in you. And our Father, we just ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will guide us, guide us through your word and teach us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through to 29. Here, Paul will encourage the believers in their faith. You see, Paul has defended the gospel. He's confirmed his apostleship. And he's announced his opposition to the false teachers of the Jude, teachings of the Judaizers. He's confirmed that those who are trusting in Jesus for salvation are justified by God. And that this is by their faith and not by their works. It is by grace that they are saved. Therefore, they are united in Christ. And because of this, they will now endeavor to live lives that are free from sin. But live to the glory of God. Now, Paul will turn to those who are letting themselves be influenced and troubled by this false teaching that has been brought into the church. He's disappointed and angry with them. He calls them foolish Gentiles. I think it's good for us to stop for a moment to consider this, uh, where Paul is saying foolish Gentiles. And in order to do that, I want us to think about the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. This is on the Sermon of the Mount. And verse 22, he said this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I don't fully understand Greek, I don't speak Greek, but I understand that the experts tell us that the Greek word fool here means one who is godless. So Jesus is saying, do not call a believer a fool because they are not godless and that is an insult. So Paul is calling the believers foolish Gentiles. Right, well let's think about it. You see, again, the Greek word used by Paul for fool is not the same word used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. I understand that this word that Paul is using means one who like lacks spiritual understanding. 
And this is the same word that Jesus used when he was speaking to the believers on the road to Emmaus. This is what he said in Luke 24, verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see, there's no contradiction here. Paul is not in conflict with what Jesus said in, on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's only saying what Jesus had said when he spoke to the two on the road to Emmaus. So this word fool, in Greek, it has two meanings. So they are the two meanings. Well, let's go to Galatians and carry on in chapter 1 through to 5. And what Paul is saying to these Galatians is this. He's saying, stop, look back and think about what happened when we brought you the gospel. So he starts off. You foolish Gentiles, you are those who are Christians, but you're failing to understand. And he goes on, he says, who has bewitched you? And he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed and crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you had? You know, we need to just go back a little bit and go back to the time when Paul and Barnabas preached the good news to these Gentiles. These Gentiles living in Galatia. And when the gospel was preached, when Jesus was presented as the crucified one, they trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is what we read about them in Acts chapter 13 when Paul and Barnabas were on that missionary journey. We read that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And again in Acts 15 verse 21 and 22, this is Paul and Barnabas speaking to these same uh, Gentiles in Galatia. This is what they said. They, this is Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel in that city, that is Pisidian Antioch, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. You see, what happened is they preached the gospel as they went through these towns. And as they preached the gospel, God worked amongst the people there. And they had problems. And Paul and Barnabas, when they returned and went back to these places, they saw that there were those who had believed the gospel and were trusting in the gospel, trusting in Jesus. And Paul is saying to them, look, think back to how you became believers, to the time when you experienced the truth of the death of Jesus. On that occasion, you received the Holy Spirit. So tell me this, did you have to work for it? Or did you receive him when you believed in and put your trust in Jesus I mean, he's continuing, he's saying, look, are you so foolish to believe that now you, you have to earn something? You have to earn something that you already have. 
If so, you're saying that the death of Jesus was not enough and that you have to add to it to make your salvation complete. And if you do that, then you are denying what you have already experienced. And then Paul will go on in verse 6 through to 9. And in this part of this passage, he's explaining that it's not just about your experience. You see, experience of itself is not confirmation of salvation. So Paul will balance experience with truth as he shows them that the scriptures back up what they have believed. And to do this, notice he starts with Abraham. You see, what he's going to do is going to not only encourage these believers and direct and guide these believers, he's going to do battle with the Judaizers and he's going to do battle on their own ground as he refers to scriptures. And he'll talk about scripture after scripture. Remember Satan's attempt to lead Jesus away from the truth. Jesus defended the truth by quoting scripture. You know, at this point, just to mention, if you have what's called a cross-reference Bible, that's the type where, you know, in the margin, you'll see uh, various verses referred to. And they will link up with what you're reading in the text. And there'll be a little uh, letter there or, or, or a, a number. And that will lead to that um, reference. And you can follow those references. And Paul is here going to refer to a lot of different scriptures. And we won't look at them all. We might mention one or two. But he's basically just telling them scripture after scripture. And what's he telling them? Well, the promise that was given to the, or the promise was given that the Gentiles would be justified by God. That means that they have been declared righteous just as Abraham was declared righteous. And he's telling them that Abraham was declared righteous before the law was given to Moses. And Paul continues, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he goes on, understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you so that those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know, within what Paul has just said, he's referring to places like Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. That's what God said about Abraham way back in Genesis. We can go to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So there it is, by faith. There are many more references, but we won't look at them all. But Paul continues to speak on the authority of Scripture as he explains the purpose and the limits of the law. And that takes us through to verse 10 through to 14. And here Paul is 
bringing assurance that salvation is found in Christ alone. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it's written. Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. And Paul goes on, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Now listen to this bit. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And he goes on, For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, listen to this again, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You know, mine goes to another uh, um, passage, Deuteronomy chapter 27. And Deuteronomy chapter 27, it, it, it lists all these things that, that, you know, the words of the law. And in verse 26, it says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. And the truth of that, Deuteronomy 27, is that nobody, nobody, can keep the word of the law. We all will disobey God's law. Therefore, we're all guilty. You see, Paul's saying that Jesus died so that the blessings given to Abraham, and this is as he talks to these Galatians, he says that it might come to you and by faith. And he's saying the faith that you received the law only condemns, it cannot set you free from sin. But faith in Christ's death can. And when we come to verse 15 and follow through to verse 18, Paul brings in what we could call a, a logical illustration. He says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So it is in this case. So the illustration everyday life is about a legally binding promise. A promise set in stone that's been ratified, formally and officially validated. In other words, stamped and sealed. And for us today and for these Galatians that Paul is speaking to, Sam stamped, signed, sealed and delivered. Now with this in mind, let's consider this as Paul says in verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person. Who is Christ? What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham 
through a promise. You see, the promise was made by God to Abraham. The promise would be fulfilled by one of Abraham's descendants, the one known as the Messiah, the Anointed One, or in the Greek, the Christ. The promise was made 430 years before the law was even given to Moses. And when the law came, it didn't change the promise. It didn't remove the promise. It didn't replace the promise. What promise? The promise of the Messiah still stood firm and unchanged. Unchanged. Verse 19 through to 20. Paul asks a question. He knows it's something that people will be thinking now. And he asks this question, then he answers it. Here's the question that people might have in their mind that Paul preempts. Why then was the law given to all? And then he goes on and tells us quite clearly. It was added because of transgressions. Added until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. He says the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. And then in verse 21, he asks another question and he answers it. He has his question. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Here's the answer. Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. You see, the promised one is Jesus. The question, is the law against Jesus? And the answer is absolutely not. The law is lacking. It is inadequate. And Jesus came to do what the law could not do. And that is to save people from sin. What the law can do, it can alert us to sin. And thus lead us to Jesus. As we come towards the end of this passage, we come to verse 22 and 25, and here we have an explanation. Paul is going to go on and explain this, and in his words he said, But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to, to those who believe. And he says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So, the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified, get this, by faith. And then he says, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In other words, now that Jesus is here, we're no longer under the law. You see, what Paul is saying is, look, sin is the problem. Sin has always been the problem. And what sin does, it declares us unrighteous in the eyes of God, thus separating us from God. 
Now the law was there to expose sin. And Paul is saying that it will reveal the need for people to approach God. They will see their need of forgiveness. And for them, in what were Old Testament times, this was done according to the law by means of sacrifices. And they were important then, and they were relevant, because these sacrifices, they were sacrifices that were made in anticipation of the one who would come, the one who would be the once and for all sacrifice. And that sacrifice was made when Jesus, the Christ, gave his life. The last few verses in this passage are conclusion. Paul will go on in, in the next uh, chapter, but just for this morning, um, verse 26 to 29, I think it's good if we let Paul speak, if we think about what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've been reminded of. And as we do, listen to what Paul says. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. See, he's speaking to these Gentiles, and God is speaking to us through the words of Paul. And Paul goes on, For all of you who were baptized into Christ, that is, accepting and being given the Holy Spirit, have clothed yourself with Christ. And because of that, Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he goes on, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And in chapter 4, we see something of that freedom. Paul is going to tell us how these Galatians and those of us who have, sect, have accepted Jesus as our Savior have that freedom in Christ. And he'll tell them and us what we have in Christ. And he'll reveal the privileged position that they and we are in. But he's saying here, no matter what these Judaizers are saying, no matter what they tell you about, you're not completely saved because you have to be circumcised or you, you have to go along with the traditions. He's saying, no matter what they say, get a hold of this. Salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you again for this short time you spent around your word. And we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will open it up to us. And for those of us who know you as Savior, that we might rejoice in the fact that even though we live in a sin-cursed world, even though we do things wrong, we still sin. We have been by the power of the cross, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been proclaimed righteous in your sight. And that will never change. That is for now and for eternity. 
And our Father, we thank you and we praise you for that. Our Father, if there's any listening who have not taken that step of faith, we just pray that you might open their heart, firstly to the fact that, like us, like everybody else, they are sinners who are condemned by a holy God. And that alerts us to the need to want to be forgiven by a, a righteous and a holy God. And we cannot earn that forgiveness, but we can have it as the free gift. And we have it by believing and trusting in the one who is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. Our Father, it's in his name that we come to you this morning, as we say in your presence. Amen.